Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our message this morning comes from the Gospel passage that you just heard. Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a mountain. And in their presence, he transformed in a way that unveiled his divinity. These three disciples didn't just witness a bright light emanating from Jesus. What they saw was a glimpse of who he really was. For that moment, they saw the body and human nature of Jesus glorified. And it radiated brighter than the sun. But you see, that's not all. For they also heard a voice, the very voice of God, speak from the clouds. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Now, up until this point in their lives, they had been witnesses to the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. They had seen Him exercise demons. They had seen Him feed thousands with barely anything. They had seen Him heal the sick. They had heard Him teach with authority. And they heard Him claim that He was the Son of God. And just before this mountaintop experience, Peter even confessed this very claim. That you are the Christ. That's what he told Jesus when Jesus asked who he was. And then, then Peter call, or Jesus calls Peter and James and John. And he leads them up a mountain where they are shown a preview of his eventual resurrection and ascension into heaven. Peter, James, and John. They were the ones that Jesus chose to be witnesses to this event. But Andrew, Nathaniel, the younger James, Judas, Jude, Matthew, Philip, Simon, Thomas, Jesus left them. Left them behind at the bottom of that mountain. Excluded. And not only were they excluded from witnessing this event, they even were excluded from knowing about the event until after Jesus was resurrected. Nine disciples, nine men who had been hand-picked by Jesus himself to be his closest followers. Nine men who would not learn of this transfiguration until after Jesus rose from the dead. 
Now, to the world, this seems unfair. After all, being treated equally is a foundational truth throughout most of the world. And when it doesn't happen, when a person is treated differently than the rest, questions are asked and concerns are raised. Why the discrepancy? Why are those people treated to something that these people are not? Why do those people deserve something that these people do not? And attempting to find answers to these types of questions usually points a person inward toward themselves. If I'm excluded, what does that say about me? What does that say about who I am? And even more so, what does that say about my relationship with the person who excluded me? You can imagine how this can, even does, destroy relationships. So even ones that seem solid, that seem indestructible. One silly example. Could you imagine finding out your friend, your very best friend since kindergarten, is getting married? Chooses someone else to be the maid of honor. Imagine God of all creation choosing you to be a disciple but not a witness to the unveiling of His glory. What does that say about you and your standing before Him? What does that say about how He thinks of you in comparison to those three that he did invite. You see, if we place ourselves in the shoes of these disciples, and if we view the transfiguration event through the lens of the world, these kinds of questions have the potential of eroding our belief of our own Standing before God. Why? Because we try to apply the rules of the world's kingdom to the rules of God's kingdom. But you see, God's kingdom doesn't work like that. Jesus doesn't work like that. We can't expect Him to act in ways that the world acts. The world would tell us that there's clearly something wrong with those nine people because they were excluded. The world would have us believe that Jesus must have loved the other three 
more than them. And you see, in the way of the world, this all makes perfect, logical sense. But in the way of God, simply false. Judging our relationship with Jesus, our standing before God based on how He treats us, is applying the world's rules to God, and it's wrong, but it is something that we all do. How often, how often have we wondered why God would allow a certain health issue or social issue or some event to affect one person but not the other? Or why God would give somebody a certain break, a certain talent that they just waste. And meanwhile, He doesn't give it to me and I pray earnestly for it. You see, we all do this. We all, in some way, view our standing before God and His feeling towards us through the lens of the world. And so, if we can rightly view our understanding of what happened 2,000 years ago, we then can apply it to our own lives and correct this faulty, sinful thought. So how do we view it rightly? Well, we start here. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus, our Savior, entered into creation, hidden in the flesh of a human, to suffer God's judgment for the sins of the world. In the physical and the spiritual agony that He experienced on the cross for the propitiation of all, not just some, not just God's favorites, but all of mankind. Nobody was left behind. And when Jesus resurrected, that victory also was made available to all of mankind. This is where we must start. We must start with the foundational understanding and faith that Jesus died and rose for all equally. No one was excluded from the forgiveness of the cross and no one was excluded from the victory of the grave. God's love towards His creation, especially towards His people, it's a love that exceeds all human understanding, just like the transfiguration. Now, we may not be able to totally comprehend it, but that does not make it less true. We are His 
adopted children. We are loved more than we can ever imagine. He would do nothing ever that was harmful for our salvation. And so, if we cling to this in faith, then we can begin to view these worldly situations in a way that is pleasing to God. Why did Jesus leave the other nine at the foot of the mountain? I have no idea. But I do know, I do know that we are not left behind at the table when He offers us forgiveness through His body and blood. And I do know that we will not be left behind when He returns and our own bodies are transformed into the likeness of God. And because I do know these things, because we do know these things, we can trust God for those things that we do not know or understand. We can trust that God is omniscient, that He knows everything. And we can trust that He uses His wisdom to make choices that are for our good. And so, we can pray. We can pray that He will continue to send to us the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit will continue to fortify our faith so that we can withstand these worldly, sinful thoughts and questions that you know we will continue to have. And we can pray. We can pray for the continued strength to trust in His decisions and actions, even when we don't agree or don't understand. And speaking of praying, we can pray all of this right now. Will you join me? Lord, we thank You for Your great love for us as shown in the transfiguration of Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In His radiance, we see a glimpse of Your glory and we are strengthened in our faith. We pray that You would continue to transfigure us by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness in word and in deed. May we reflect your love to the world so that all may know your grace and your mercy. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.